Welcome to the Magic Hour, a safe haven for lost stories and curious folk. On today's episode, I am so excited to be joined by Claire Steiner, who is a nurse practitioner and um, an OBGYN, and will be unearthing more content on menopause and the mythic journey we travel through as we age. Hello. Welcome. So we've heard that you are a certified nurse practitioner working in gynecology, but we also noticed on your profile that you had undergone training on how to create safer medical experiences or spaces for our rainbow community. So I especially want to thank you and welcome you on behalf of all of our queer folk. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm honored to be asked. Um, yeah. Uh, I have lots to talk about today. Uh, you guys had some really great questions. Um, okay. Yeah, so I am a family, I'm trained as a family, or when do you want me to jump in? Jump in. Jump in, great. So I am trained as a family nurse practitioner. I was trained in primary healthcare across the lifespan. Um, one way, um, I'm queer. I have some friends who were trans. They were like, you know, we should find a gynecologist. Mm-hmm. like anybody to provide gynae care for us was like 10 years ago yeah um and i was like you know i could probably do that so then when i went you know i was working as a nurse um i worked in um trauma orthopedics like trauma like car accidents trauma mm-hmm. um, orthopedics uh hip and knee replacements community health um and the community health that job sort of was where I found my, like, niche. Mm. Um, uh, Working for, uh, working with um, a lot more people kind of in my community who were having trouble finding care. Um, I look like a straight white lady, so people tend to assume I am a straight white lady, but when one does not look like a straight white lady, it is difficult to find care. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So when I went, when I moved to Pittsburgh and I was, teaching nursing at University of Pittsburgh, um, went back to school because I had the opportunity to do that. I thought I'm going to specialize in gynecology. Wow. And I think we're going to have a bit of chat around medical related um, opinion and experience, like things that you observed in your practice. So maybe we'll just drop in a quick medical disclaimer that you've kindly um, found as well. Yeah. So, um, do you want me to read that or do you guys read that? Um, I can do it if you want. Uh, so nothing Claire says is intended as medical advice. Um, it's not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So if you have questions or concerns about your health, listeners, uh, we recommend you follow up with your own providers. Everything Claire says will be her opinion, and it's for entertainment and learning purposes only. And also, I wanted to say that we will be talking a little about abuse and trauma, so it might be difficult for some people. So just be aware that that will be in here. Okay. Listen with care. Yeah, we and we try to emanate soft cotton clouds of, of care with that. That's a, that is our hope, that we can go yes. into these places with grace. Yeah. Uh, I'm also coming from a you know, scientific medical nursing model, so that's most of the expertise I'm going to be sharing today. Um, it is not the only model. It is just where I am. It is how I am trained and it is my background. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so before we go into some of that, 
scientific stuff. Is there anything else you want to share about yourself or your profession? Like when you were young, like, did you know you wanted to do this or was it something you learned later in life? Things like yeah. that. So I kind of had an interesting path that ended up in healthcare. Mm. Um, I grew up, my mom was a nurse and she's just a particularly happy person. <laughs> um, uh, she worked weekends and then was home with my sisters and I on the week, um, during the weekdays. Um, my dad is a physician. He just wasn't home a lot. You know, he's also a wonderful, loving person. He just, you know, wasn't home quite as much. Um, and they both told me, don't get, don't go into healthcare. Don't do it. <laughs> it's changing. Like the billing is terrible. You're not going to be able to take care of patients the way you want to. Um, because they were both having trouble doing that. Mm. And so I went into computer science. Wow. Oh, wow. And I hated it. <laughs> Talking to people. I was in front of a computer for 40 hours a week. I had a job out in Los Angeles. I missed my family. I missed the East Coast. Um, I had a yeast infection. So I went to the gynecologist and I was sitting there and I thought, I should have gone into healthcare. Mm. But I went back to school. Wow. Well, yeah. That's I, a really uh, cool story. Yeah. So my our, my initial undergrad was from Penn State. Um, they have these accelerated bachelors of nursing programs for people uh, who want to go into nursing. So I uh, did a 12-month um, uh, nose to the grindstone program at Thomas Jefferson in Philadelphia mm. um, and have never looked back. Wow. Best decisions I've made in my life. I hear good things about Penn State, yeah. That's amazing. Because um, I was gonna, I was wondering if it was at all uh, a contrast for you being someone who had gone through a different training and was, was going into medicine. And like, I'm assuming most medical practitioners in their early um, education process are like quite young. You get like fresh out of high school. I think, I think coming into healthcare with more life experience was incredibly helpful. Yeah, um, like I wasn't coming into it with sort of like. Um, it was in sunshine. Um, not to say that coming into healthcare with that, that there's anything wrong with it. Um, but having a little bit more perspective mm. helped me deal with a lot of the really difficult things that I saw early on in my career. Can you talk about those at all? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I had, um, I had some grandparents die when I was uh, a younger adult. Mm. Uh, and seeing that process like having gone through that process myself um then being in a hospital setting and helping other families to go through um being the the caregiver for dying people um you know either like young from really like traumatic and terrible experiences or older um older people who were you know the family had sort of known for and expected for a while that they were at, at the end of their life um it I had, I think I had a lot more insight into what it meant to care for the family of a dying person as well as the dying person themselves. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, yeah, and I could just sort of go home and cry it out and then leave it and, and move on. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it sounds like you were more equipped to deal with like some of the hard, really tricky things that people don't think about a lot on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was also, it also, um, I had kind of more insight into just like people and communities work and politics and, 
you know, hospital politics, just because anytime that there are people, there is politics. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a little bit of an easier time navigating those things, and I, and I knew what I wanted. Um, and and I you know, sort of had a, a more kind of concrete direction. So other sort of shiny, interesting avenues were not quite as um, appealing. Yeah, interesting. When you say you knew what you wanted, specifically gynecology? I I kind of knew that I wanted that from the beginning, yes. Um, but I also knew that I wanted to take care of people and that that was my, yeah, that, that is my goal when I go to work every day. And if I have done that, that, that means I had a good day at work. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of other conflicting things in medicine, right? There is staying on time. There is making money. There is... Um, among many other things um but when i prioritize taking care of people everything like i am a happier person i enjoy my job more wow well um are there any other things you love to do in your spare time when you have it (laughs) um i'm a big runner Uh, that's a lot of fun you know just Mm -hmm. like run until everything falls away gotcha um, I, uh, have a partner and a cat Nice. and, and then I have a house and I've been having a lot of fun working on my house. Cool. Doing, yeah. Doing electrical stuff, um, gardening. Yeah. Love Sounds it. so wholesome and charming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm, I'm my legs. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I've worked hard for a lot of years and, yeah. um, I feel very, lucky like incredibly lucky to to be in a place where i'm, I'm happy and yeah mm-hmm. and to have you know my health and the health of my family etc yeah yay um we have some questions for you about menopause yeah let's Ooh. talk about menopause fun times <laughs> i have some answers about menopause. <laughs> um maybe before we even get into those do you want to just talk about from like a medical standpoint like what it's how it's talked about and dealt with in general from your perspective in the with yeah. the pers- pers- perspective of debunking yes yeah so i'm gonna just start from the beginning and this and talk a lot about menopause and you interrupt me at any time with any questions okay all right so menopause natural normal menopause and when i say normal normal is not a value judgment it's more it's it's an it's a statistical term mm-hmm. um you know, but there's a bell curve um, and, you know, most people are sort of in the middle. So mm. most people, the average age of menopause, which is when you're, you're so, oh, the other thing I wanted to say, um, I'm going to talk about like women and people with uteruses kind of interchangeably, but I'm specifically talking about like people with uteruses who are not on hormones to make them not bleed. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Fair. Um, yeah. People who are like, cis women and continue to be like, who are assigned to at birth and are cis mm-hmm. um, so natural menopause usually occurs around age 51 it can start as it can start before 40 which is unusual um it can start between 40 to 45 which is considered early menopause um but menopause which is the cessation of men's of monthly regular menstrual periods Mm-hmm. Um, it's determined by looking back retrospectively mm. after somebody has experienced 12 months 
of no bleeding, which we call amenorrhea. So amenorrhea. What a, a beautiful sounding word. Yeah. Menorrhea is menstruation. Yeah. And that there is no other um, disease causing process um, that has stopped periods. Gotcha. And with you. Here, sorry. Um, we're with you. Yeah. Um, so this is a reflection of um, complete or near complete ovarian follicular depletion, which just means your ovaries stop ovulating. Right. And get pregnant. Um, and in addition to um, stopping ovulating, they stop making estrogen. Mm-hmm. Everybody still has a little bit of estrogen. Adipose tissue makes estrogen. There's um, what we call peripheral conversion of estrogen. So you still have some estrogen, but suddenly you have much, much less. Right. Um, and when we do tests to look for this, we will see low estrogen. And then there's a feedback loop between the brain and the ovaries. And the brain tells the ovaries to, you know, have a cycle. And when the ovaries have a cycle, they signal to the brain that they've had a cycle. And then the brain is like, great. Mm-hmm. Instead, what we see with lab work is we see the brain kind of yelling at the ovaries. That's rude. <laughs> so the hormone called follicular stimulating hormone, or SSH, we see is very high. Um, so pretty easy to diagnose menopause. Um we check your labs, you have low estrogen and a high FSH, and there's nothing else going on. Mm-hmm. Um, things that are normal leading up to this last period. Um, so this, so we sort of say menopause and postmenopause um, interchangeably, but really menopause is your last period, and postmenopause is everything that comes after. But some of the kind of hormonal and attitudinal and mental symptoms would be happening during those last periods? So, yes. Usually they start about four to five years earlier. Interesting. In what we call the perimenopausal That's uh, the one. phase. Okay. Yeah. So peri is just sort of about, about menop- around menopause. Ballpark. Ballpark, <laughs> yes. Um, so it begins about on average four years before your last period before a person's last period and it includes lots of changes that often affect a person's quality of life Mm -hmm. um so normal are to have sort of lighter periods that are less frequent that doesn't always happen but if that is what's happening that's normal that sounds great (laughs) (laughs) eventually they stop yeah. Um, the things that people most often complain of are not the, the periods going away. Um, it is hot flashes, mm-hmm. sleep disturbances, insomnia, mood fluctuation, vaginal dryness, night sweats, um, which we call, uh, so the hot flashes and night sweats we call vasomotor symptoms. Yes. Um, because they're occurring in, as a, a symptom of these like big hormonal fluctuations that are going right. on. Yeah. Things that people don't obviously see but are still happening, uh, and people don't come in and complain to me that they're having these things, um, are a decrease in bone loss um, that down the road can lead to osteopenia and osteoporosis or um, kind of age-acquired brittle bone disease um, that can result in a higher risk of breaking a bone and having trouble healing it at at a later age. Right. Um, and then we also see changes in lipids. So 
what people co- uh, commonly refer to as cholesterol. Gotcha. Um, so cis men are sort of at a higher risk of heart disease mm. than cis women who are premenopausal. Mm. We find that estrogen is really protective against heart disease and high cholesterol and things like that. But then after menopause, cis women's um, risk slowly goes up until it's about where uh, the risk of cis men is, just because they have suddenly lost this protective factor of tons and tons of estrogen every month. Gotcha. So you just mentioned like so many aspects of the medical um, experience you talked about kind of like body temperature you talked about hormones you talked about like your actual um, reproductive system you talked about musculoskeletal issues um, mental health that to me that is a whole gambit of different types of specialties it's a so, ton of stuff yeah this is not like this this is it's like reverse puberty mm. yeah oh that's a great way of putting it it's this is this is not um, for some people from, you know, for a small percentage of people, about 20 percent of people, they don't have a ton of pop flashes. They sort of go through it um, pretty easily. Um, but for most women, there are things that are bothersome. Yeah. But yeah, Ooh. this is this is huge. This is not yeah. a small uh, stage of life. No, it really yeah. spans a whole range of things yeah. in, in a woman's and- life quick other little thing when you speak of estrogen isn't there also like i know people who've had this like the estrogen change can result in cancer at that period because it goes it goes down or up i forget it goes it goes down yeah so like i you know i know someone who got breast cancer when that happened yeah Um, oncology is not my specialty that is a great question for a cancer doctor gotcha the answer to that question that's why i keep hearing question Yeah. yeah it's interesting Maybe it's newer. Maybe it's something they're just starting to figure out. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so just, I mean, what I do know about cancer is so um, when people have like, let's say breast cancer, we test the breast cancer to see what hormones it responds to. Mm-hmm. And some, so some cancers may be um, stimulated to grow by estrogen or progesterone. Um, and in which case we give them medications that block those hormones those hormones and and so people you know who are like maybe have breast cancer at a younger age um when i was in nursing school my roommate who was in her 40s had breast cancer and had to go on one of these medications and she went through what to her felt like menopause because suddenly her estrogen was being blocked Mm. gotcha so there's like um yeah these these um all the things that happen during menopause don't only happen during menopause. They can happen other times if, you know, if there is for some reason like a loss of estrogen in the body. Mm. Um, like let's say some, right, so if we're giving someone, you know, an estrogen blocking medication, um, if somebody um, has ovarian cancer and or endometriosis and we remove their ovaries, you know, they are going through a menopausal process. But it yeah. is not sort of a normal physiologic menopause. Right. Um, so with all that, like kind of in our minds, how do you feel as you've been in like the medical profession, do you like how it's dealt with? Do you think there are some things that are working in some ways it could be dealt with differently? Are there like myths about it that you feel like need to change? Yeah. The way we sort of deal with it, um, in the, in the practice that I work in is we just kind of wait until people have issues. Yeah. 
Um, you know, we hopefully we are seeing people for their annual preventative care exam. And if people don't have a ton of questions and they're in their 40s, I will just start talking about, hey, menopause is on the horizon and talk about the things that I am talking about here today and give, you know, giving people like, here are some normal things. Here are some not so normal things um, so that if it starts to happen to them, they're not freaking out like, oh, my God, what happened? I missed the period. I might be pregnant. Yeah. Right. You know, if you're 49, 50 and you're missing a period and your pregnancy test is negative, say, like assuming that you're having sex with a partner who has sperm, um, menopause. Yeah. It's like sort of what we had the highest suspicion of, unless there is something else going on that we don't. Gotcha. Right. But you're looking for like clusters of circumstances and you're educating um, your ovary having patients as early as possible. Yes. Yeah. Right. So I like that. One, Right. So one is like we sort of start with some education. And two is uh, when people start having issues, if they start having issues, they come in like, you know, I really can't sleep. I wake up, you know, every 20 minutes with these terrible hot flashes. I'm like sweating. Um, You know, my husband or my partner is like sleeping in another room because I have the fan, all the fans on and the air conditioner. I have like a, you know, another air conditioning unit in the, in the room and I just can't sleep and I can't deal with my life because I can't sleep. Then we, we do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. We have a long list of, of options ranging from like um, herbal supplements to hormone replacement to uh, antidepressants that we give at low doses that are um, off-label for menopausal symptoms to um, like there are some various like pain medications and it, there's a long list of things we can try to sort of help alleviate these symptoms. Yeah. Oh, I love that because you think based on like a previous myth this is just a woman's lot in life that that meant you would could infer that that means that there's nothing you can do but you literally right. just that's our first myth buster right there yeah there is there a, is a lot a, a we can bevy of levers to pull yeah yeah i i would agree with you that that there is a lot of um there's a lot of myth around menopause um yeah one is that there's nothing we can do about it um Another one that I hear a lot is people coming in and asking me to, uh, quote, balance their hormones. And and I have to talk to them about, like, this, you are going through menopause. Your body is, you know, doing a normal, healthy thing. Um, I can help alleviate your symptoms. But um, your hormones aren't technically out of balance. Right. Well, that so makes sense. They are we think different we can course than they correct. were before. Yeah. We think we can course correct from aging. This is This is the promise that the beauty industry has given us but the thing that i i think that inspired me to bring you on was just when i'm listening to you talk you talk about it in this almost like joyful like kind of fun like i don't it doesn't feel like a death sentence you talk about these things like well we'll figure it out like almost yeah. like it's like an interesting problem to solve and <laughs> and and i i think that that's um part of the myth busting which is like talking about it not as if it's like either ignoring it and acting like nothing's happening or being like, um, well, it's happening. Like, good luck. It's like, right. yeah, we'll get you through this time. It's just and the like, normal part of life. It's a normal thing. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I, I hear from my patients is that nobody talks about it and knows what to expect. And yeah. sometimes I, the first provider who has right. said this is normal or, or said, you know, in the next few years, you may start to have hot flashes or something like that and given them kind of some education on the subject. Mm -hmm. um but yeah many people do not talk about it 
it's sort of like periods, right? It is kind of, it's like this internal plumbing. We, you know, women suffer in silence. Um, uh, It's gross. And uh, men don't want to hear about it. And so just jump, just don't mention it. This is a paradigm we are more than willing to throw out the window that we don't talk about things. We should should talk about things. (laughs) So that's why we're talking about it. And I also am thinking about like gender and identifying as one or the other and this like femininity and your period and your organs. And when you start stop being able to do one thing with your organs, suddenly you might lose your femininity. And I, Mm. I think that's something that came up for me when I, you know, as a straight white woman, like reading about that. And then when I started thinking, but that's like the most small part of me. And what does femininity even mean? It's like, I was realizing what I've been kind of trained to think about myself and how it's like really not that big of a part of me at all um I think that's just something I'm starting to realize more I like explore this whole subject is like how we're wrapped up in these things and how they're not really that huge a part of us in a way or they don't have to be if we don't make them be I guess I'm I'm recalling my high school science teacher um who was this very tall uh redheaded man with all of these freckles And we were talking about like what makes life life. And he said that the ability to, you know, in the list of things we were tested on was the ability to reproduce. And he said to us, if you put just reproduction on the test, that's a wrong answer. Because he said he would say, I have not reproduced. (laughs) I do not plan on reproducing. Yeah. But I have the ability to reproduce. Right. That is what makes like a living creature versus like a rock or a mineral, et cetera. Right. What a champ. Yeah. Bah. That's cool. Can't even remember this guy's name, but like that has stopped with me for so many years. Yeah, I would very much have appreciated that because that was something that I grapple with. This kind of, it's my job, but what if I don't want that job? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just a thing bodies can do. Body, bodies are wild and weird and wonderful, and you don't have to do all the things with them that they can do. Not like all the things. Like, I have run a half marathon. Um, my sister was like, let's train for a marathon. And I said, actually, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm also never going to do another half marathon because that was terrible. So now I don't run more than three miles time. It's amazing. That's a bit of an extreme example. But that was great. Just because you can reach these limits. Have to. Have to. No, yeah, it doesn't say anything about you are you. Like you get to decide. No one else really gets to decide. Right, right. This is you your are. body, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think part of my uh, philosophy is in practicing medicine and nursing is that I am here to give information uh, mm. and you, you can decide what to do with it. Thank you for that. Yeah. So How that's do you like keep? Yeah. Yeah. How do you keep um, informed and updated? What's your um, kind of regime of growth and continuing medical education? Yeah. So I love uh, morbidity and morbid morbidity and mortality weekly, which is the CDC's weekly newsletter. Um, I am a huge nerd. Real quick. I will read it every week. And then my mom and I talk about it because she's a nurse still. And be like, oh, oh my gosh, nice. can you believe that thing about like the alpha gal meat allergy we saw in that one patient that one time? And here it is in the CDC. Um, That's so cool. <laughs> there it. is a tick-borne meat allergy that the CDC is now looking into. So uh, that that was in like a very recent. Uh, um, I heard about that actually. I think one of my friends has it from her life. Is it the red yeah. meat. The red meat. She allergy? can't eat meat now. Yeah, it's a mammal meat allergy. Is that from Lyme's disease? I feel like I read that it was connected. It's from a similar. So I've seen it in relation to um, 
the Lone Star Tick. Oh, you're right. Yeah, no. So it was just tick-borne. Okay. Yeah, just like generally tick-borne. Um, Fascinating. Yeah, so that's one way. Um, another way is I'm a member of the, uh, Nurse Practitioners in Women's Health, which is very gendered, the name, but they really cover like the gamut of like reproductive health for people with uteruses and ovaries, et cetera, and vaginas and vulvas. Um, and um, they send me like monthly magazines and I read those and they have continuing education inside of them. Um, but my favorite resource is up to date. Up to date. Uh, which is just this cult. It's this database of um, it's just so full of information. Um, basically, you can search it. You have to pay for it, um, but you can search any topic and it will give you a summary that was written by like the four, like some very good experts on the subject and they update it every few months. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. yeah and, you know, my, my practice, we have monthly meetings about, you know, this is coming down the pipeline. There's new research about breast cancer. There's new research about, you know, pep smears. Like, so it's oh, that's just cool. Yeah. Always around. Always, always evolving. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and do you and, go to conferences and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to one this year, but I did go to one last year. Um, and man, it was a lot of fun. Did a lot of learning. Cool. <laughs> um, when like, so like if a woman is or someone with a uterus is starting to feel like they're going through some sort of struggle with their um, menopause like experience, what are what's some advice? I know you can't off like you can offer your own thoughts, but like would one of those things be just like ask questions in the office? Like, is that what you would say? I would say ask questions, yes, and bring a list mm-hmm. because. You get there and you then you're like, oh, shit, what was that question that I thought of in the car on the other day? And you're sitting there and your provider's like, we only have 15 minutes scheduled. And like, you know, five of those minutes I spent looking over your chart uh, before I even got in here. Uh, and we also have to do an exam. Um, but if you like come in with a list of questions and you're like, these are my questions. And if and you ask them and if you don't get satisfying information, ask a follow up question. Um, we're not going to get mad at you. We're just busy because mm-hmm. capitalism um, <laughs> and it is at odds with what, like, you know, hospitals making money. I mean, they're a business. Yeah. They need to make money to, you know, pay their bills and pay their staff. But um, some of the goals of the hospital system are at odds with um, the goal of taking your time talking Absolutely. to people. Absolutely. That's a healthcare provider. And I think that's that ties in a little to my thoughts on trauma, if we can kind of like teeter on the edge of that idea, mm-hmm. which is, you know, um, you've been sharing about time. You say time a lot. You say the capitalism thing a lot, which is really true, that it can be hard to like make that connection in the doctor's office because that person, it's not that they don't care. It's that they have like 30 other people and 30 other things. Um, and you have people coming in with um, real issues being you know examined with past you know abuse that they've had (laughs) how do we how do we maneuver in the space where it isn't designed for us to connect and have real conversations how do we do it anyway you know yeah that's a that's a great question um it's so what i said before is asking just ask and just tell us right like we 
want to take good care of you. If you're there for an STD check because you hooked up with this guy and the condom broke and you're not super worried, but you just want to double check and, you know, and you're in and out of there in 15 minutes, like, no worries. Like, I'll swab you. I'll say, you know, I'll call you when all your results come back. Yeah. Um, and there's plenty of those. But then there's, you know, people who, you know, they're coming in and it's their third baby and they don't really have any questions. And we're just, you know, checking the fetal heart tones and, you know, ordering, looking at some lab results and sending them on their way. But, you know, interspersed with the sort of quick, more routine visits are, are visits from people who have more questions and have had maybe medical trauma or um, have experienced sexual abuse or sexual assault. Um, I think the statistic is like one in four or one in three. Maybe yeah. bad. Something yeah. stupid high. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we do rely on patients, on, on people who are coming in to say like, hey. I, I have a history of medical trauma. You don't have to tell us what happened. If, like, if you don't, if you want to tell me the whole story, I am going to sit there and listen and hold your hand and like, we can cry it out together. But if you, if you just want to be like, you know, I really don't like being here. I kind of want to get in and out pretty quickly, but can you just be extra gentle in your exam? Just say like, I have a hard time with public exams or I have a history of trauma or, you know, whatever it is like, you know, succinctly that you want to tell me or whichever provider who you want who you are seeing um just let them know they will take their time we have also like many different like sizes of speculums and uh you know right for people of different shapes and sizes we sort of have our like average one that we use for most people but sometimes people have like a little bit more pelvic pain with um pelvic exams because maybe their muscles are tight or they have this history of trauma and if you tell me we will use a smaller or if I need to use a wider speculum, I will explain to you, I need to use this wide speculum because because I need to see something that I couldn't see with this smaller speculum or whatever. And I can walk you through it and we can take our time a little bit more. You know, you can help me insert the speculum um, inside of your vagina if that's something you want to do. I can give you a mirror and you can, you know, cool. yeah, you can watch what we are doing. You know, we have all these options, but we don't do a good job of sort of making them readily available mm. like like here's the menu we sort right. of just like pull them out and people are like i i have uh and if we see the you know if i see somebody is sort of like struggling with what to tell me um i'm like i automatically you know we slow down and we listen and we then we present those options oh i love hearing about well, that well, we i have yeah, I have so many thoughts, though, like, I, with how busy you guys already are, like, do they train you in some of the, like, like, dealing with trauma, or is yeah. it just not, they do? Oh, cool. Okay, so you do talk about it A in little school. bit. Yeah, it's in school. Um, it, people who I think have been trained more recently are probably going to be a little better at it. Right. I can say that having been through training in the last 10 years myself. I don't know how much older doctors have gone through with that um but you know, they're current they know what's going on they read the research they see the same patients i'm seeing um and if you ask them they will slow down cool yeah so the, the other thing i want to say about exams is like you can always say no or stop or pause and we mm. don't do a good job telling people you can say no right like i'm gonna check like when i say like all right i'm gonna look at you um that means like a thyroid, a breast or chest, belly and pelvic exam. You can say, actually, 
I have a question about why you want to do X exam. And when they, after they explain it to you, you can just say, I'd actually like to decline that today. Um, for whatever reason. Yeah. It's your body. I think also that power dynamic between uh, some of the medical, like a doctor or a nurse and the patient. I think a lot of people, I, I learned to do it, but I think a lot of people for a long time, like I just kind of did what I was told. And then I started thinking, what do I actually want? And like being like, I'm going to do this. And it started, it worked out great, but I just didn't know that I didn't know that I could. And you can do that because yeah. again, nobody talks about these. No things. one talks about it. Yeah. yeah. So really I wish it was like in health class in high schools. That yeah. They, like that they went through like, here's a doctor's visit. Here's how to advocate for yourself. You can say no, but also like here, are, here is what the, the provider is expecting, right? They are coming that you will succinct, they're expecting you will come with a problem and sort of succinctly give them uh what the problem is and your questions and then they will prescribe you a treatment and if it doesn't work then they want you to call them or come amazing i think that's a great idea i'm envisioning a new home ec experience where like class one is like the importance of medical exams and how to talk to your doctor and where to yes. go if you have an issue the next one is like how to make a budget the next one is like how to go into the grocery store and not just buy junk food. <laughs> like, yeah, let's I, make this practical. Right, that's a great idea. I would so get behind that. I know. <laughs> and also, like, the chair for the exam is like fuzzy and warm and like. Oh, get doesn't get... have paper that you stick to. Yeah, no yeah, paper. I know. Like... I've only gotten vinyl and cling paper, so that. A fuzzy chair sounds amazing. I know. Just there's so many things they could do. <laughs> I don't know if we could clean. I think the issue with the fuzzy chair is we wouldn't be be able to clean it. Right. Oh. right. But we do have clean. to have like a pull off thing and everyone would have to have that. We'd what if we to... brought our own blanket? Could that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could totally bring your own blanket and put it on the bed. I'm doing that now. Mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's gonna care, especially if you take it with you and you're gonna wash it at home. And a heating pad that oh, would yeah. help us so much. We could oh. Do that ourselves. Yeah. Oh my god. Why is this so mind blowing? I'm so weirded out that it's so hard. Why are we like this? Why are humans like this? Do you know the answer? I don't know the answer. Like, why are we like we getting are wired our own for a certain level of compliance and efficiency? Like that is kind of like what our training has been pushing us towards so you think about going to a doctor's office and you're like these are the rules i know the rules yeah and like you're on auto yeah yeah and we're on auto also because we have a long list of patients to see in right. a finite amount of time and we mm -hmm. want to take care of everybody yeah we just need you to tell us when to slow it down a smidge like if, oh, if that is i what feel your pain yeah i cannot imagine I'm a little like inspired and blown away by how this conversation, like the things we talked about, they're so simple. It's communication. Mm. It's asking questions. It's advocating for yourself and kind of trusting that your doctor or your physician wants to hear it. Yeah. I think that's I really think all do. it is. Like people who go into medicine, especially like general medicine, like family practice, pediatric, right. gynecology, yeah. we are there because we want to take care of you. We yeah. are not making a ton of money. Right. Mm -hmm. We are, you know, you, you tend to get more of the, the idealists in, in those sort of, in, in more kind of primary care fields. Mm. That's why you, I always have liked nurse practitioners. I've connected more with nurse practitioners, usually. 
They also give us 20-minute visits instead of 15-minute visits. Ah, okay. Nice. That's also something to think about. But, you know, we're, I, I am limited in my knowledge, right? I, I can kind of do about 80% of what a physician can do. Yeah. Um, and when I run out of, I know where my knowledge ends and when you need to see a physician and I will tell you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Rita, what were you going to say? I was going to pivot <laughs> and ask um, if you had any um, foundational or moving stories or tales when you were growing up that kind of are connected to either the act of caring for others or, or medicine or even like women aging. Like, I, I wonder if there was any kind of personal mythology for you. Yeah, I, I really thought about this question and I can't remember when I first learned about it. But I think it just was always something that was there because I grew up in a family of medical professionals. Um, and so it was just sort of like, it was just sort of talked about like periods were. And then I got to college and I was like, oh, boys think periods are gross. This is odd. Um, but, you know, sort of before that, like I remember when my mom's mom went through menopause, um, I, like when I had my first period, my parents were out of town. Um she was staying with us because you know, they're on vacation and they leave you with your grandparents when yep. they go on vacation. Um, and, you know, I was like, I think I got my period. And she was like, great, here's a pad. Let's like, I'll show you how to use the pad. You're going to sleep on a towel. Uh, tell me whatever you need. And I was like, oh my God, she just did that. Like that was the most normal thing. Mm. And then, and then like, you know, I remember like talking to her later being like, do you have a period? And, mm. and she was like, no. And I was like, okay. But I don't think I really questioned why that was. Um, and then sort of the next memory I can kind of conjure up about menopause is when my mom and her sister went through menopause. There is a very kind of dark sense of humor that runs in my family. And I think in many families who have people in the medical field. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they just were laughed so much about their hot flashes. Like they'd start fanning themselves and like, whoa, 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 I'm having a hot flash. And just like <laughs> giggle like teenagers um and they just weren't secretive about it at all we all knew that they were they're very close in age but we all knew that when they were going through menopause and when they were having hot flashes and um yeah it wasn't something that was hidden which which now i look back i'm like oh that was kind of nice yeah and it's why you're you're doing what you're doing now i think i mean those are like stories you heard from your family and that's the way you kind of grew up in it. So you brought that to other people, which is really cool that you were able to like bring that to your patients. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, you know, shout out to my mom here. Yeah. Oh, did a good yeah. job. Totally. Uh, Pixie, do you have any um, other questions that you'd like to ask? I'm, I'm satiated. I think I am too. I um. I really appreciate you sharing all this information. Is there anything else you feel is really important that you want to say before we close that you feel like we missed? I do. Okay, do. I want to, I want to quick talk about some things that are not normal in menopause. Okay. Mm. Um, Ooh, so, and, and, and I bring this up because of the podcast that where Rudo, you interviewed your mom. Mm-hmm. And she was having some things that are not normal. And as I was listening, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I wish someone... I wish she had just gone to her doctor and like said having all this bleeding. So one thing that is very abnormal in menopause is irregular. Not like 
usually have a period every month. Sometimes you skip it. But you're having weird bleeding in between your periods. Your periods are fluctuating by like kind of more than seven to nine days, right? Um, right. That's an uh, important distinction. Yeah. Yes. Right. Get missing a period versus having what we call intermenstrual bleeding, where you're having bleeding in between periods. Okay. Okay. Periods that are extremely heavy or bleeding that is extremely heavy, like where you are soaking a pad in an hour, every hour for more than two hours. That is ain't too much bleeding. Um, that's that's a good time for an ER. Um, uh, bleeding, you know, sort of going on beyond 10 days. Um, so those are, are things that are that are good to look out for. And if, okay. if um, anybody who is having that, um, I would encourage you to. This is not medical advice. This is my ex- I'm just sharing my experience and expertise. I, I would call. encourage you to follow up with your healthcare provider. Yeah, right. yeah. fair. Um, Anything else that's kind of unusual that actually is a common unusual? Yeah. So I would say like, so sometimes people have a little bit of like mood swing, mild, but if people are having a lot of depression, um, that is also not normal. Um, and what else did I want to say about this? Mm. I love that you take notes. Yeah, me too. Leading by example. Moods are important. Yeah. Um, You know, a little bit of weight gain is also pretty normal. But, you know, if you're gaining like 20 to 50 pounds, right, it's not like, oh, you gained like five pounds. I would also go and see your doctor because it can be from something else that is not menopause. Good call. Just pay attention to how it's going and what's going on and check in if it's weird. And also like, Ask your provider, right? If if it's normal, they'll tell you it's normal. If it's not yeah. normal, like from my experience, I would rather people send me a message on the portal or come in for a visit and say like, I'm having all these things. Right. And I can say these are normal or these are not normal. Right. Like I'd rather you ask if you're curious than not ask because you think I don't want to hear from you. Right. right. Oh, it's so beautiful because everyone that uh, we've talked to that in some way deals directly with people in a you know counselor or you know service profession that's like the absolute most common thing that people at the heart of it want to know if what they're experiencing is normal or am i normal is this body part normal (laughs) oh all the time i get that question so much where people are like i've never asked anyone this but is this normal oh yeah it's totally normal. Or like, actually, thank you for bringing it to my attention. It's really not normal and we should look into it. Yeah. I'm um, thinking of like all the new artwork, like all the vulva artwork where we're now starting to like realize that actually vulvas look so different depending. And like there's just like this array of like almost like a thumbprint of how different everything looks. Yeah. There is this book I love. Um, can, was, I think it's probably, oh, it's from the 80s. Uh, it's uh-huh. very... Um, like kind of 80s feminism it's called sex for one sex for one awesome yes it's it's the it's about masturbation but my favorite part of this book and i recommend it to people who come in and ask me if their vulva looks normal is it is just filled with pencil drawings of vulvas i'm checking that out in all shapes and sizes it's a great book it really normalizes the you know sort of span of what healthy bodies look like i love it Almost no one knows about this um, 90s 
kind of after school special movie that I saw my parents showed me. It's called Questions About Sex with LeVar Burton. Oh my God. I could all like this up. If you can find it, I feel like it probably what? still has legs. It is <laughs> so beautiful. It's amazing. And I swear, I feel like that's why I came out like not shamey about myself. And like, I just was curious and I just let that curiosity continue to roam because LeVar Burton said it was totally fine. Of course. That's wonderful. He is, he was like, I think like the, the voice of authority in, in our childhood. Absolutely. Like yep. Rainbow. And... Yep. He's my, he's my childhood hundred percent. Spock, LeVar Burton. <laughs> Bette Midler, I think, was also a strong authority. I was obsessed with her. As Patrick Stewart for me because I watched <laughs> Generation constantly, but yeah. <laughs> and was the Menopause Guidebook the other thing that you shared? Yeah, Claire? that's yeah. another one that I like. I haven't read, read it cover to cover, but, you know, I've read parts of it and um, people tend to find it helpful who I've recommended it to. It's a lot of good um, evidence-based um advice and information right it is nice. it is coming from a place that uh of, of scientific research and that is the information that they are sharing gorgeous yeah thank you and, we'll share and, that sorry uh, i'm just saying we'll share that in our show notes so people yeah. can and then if your provider has access to up-to-date update has some really nice patient guides um one that i rent out not infrequently is called patient education menopause and it's a long talk about menopause in really easy to read terms for people who aren't medically trained it, it, you know, it substitutes the jargon with real people language that's really helpful um yeah so it's a lot of amazing information thank you for having me on today it's been a pleasure you have wonderful questions thank you for listening Would yeah you consider coming back when we start interviewing more more women oh yeah you let me know oh amazing You're yeah 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 this has been i feel like this has been a great kind of like foundation as we begin this because i think you're our third chat on this so far and it's just kind of this nice solid like um i don't know it, it's good energy i like it so i appreciate it thank yeah, you thanks for bringing the good vibes claire yeah a lot of, of good vibes so um <laughs> we'll close out uh thank you so much to everyone listening please check out our show notes we're going to link all of those amazing resources there Stay tuned for more episodes on this topic and others, as always, woven with magic, myth, fairy tales, creativity, and our friendship. The music we use for our podcast, entitled Whimsical Aliens, was written and performed by Alejandro Bernard from Ithaca, New York. Please subscribe and like his music tutorials on YouTube, and you can become a Patreon to his work as well. This project is edited and produced by Bjorn. Thank you so much for your support, and we will see you next time. Thank you all for listening. And thank you, Claire, for being with us. Yeah. My pleasure. Bye.